Welcome to BAFTA's Heritage Podcast, featuring monthly conversations on films, TV programs and games recognized by the Academy since 1947. Find out more about how BAFTA has been celebrating and inspiring creative excellence at BAFTA.org forward slash heritage. So, 50 years. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I suppose I sort of feel a little bit pulled in two directions. One, that this is a, a celebration of a, of a great landmark drama that not only in, in terms of the way it was made, the, the, the whole the subject matter, the, the particular techniques that you used, and of course the huge impact that, um, that Cathy had um, and continues to have in, in the whole discussion about homelessness policy, the founding of, of um, crisis and, and, and the sort of um, surge in donations to shelter and so on. But then sort of the other part of me is thinking, well, as I came here tonight, you know, I, I was walking past people sitting on cardboard on the street, uh, two people opposite in, in sleeping bags. And so I sort of, there's a poignancy too, I think, to, 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 watching, to watching this now at, the, at this point in time. And I wondered how, how you feel about it. Well, <laughs> That we feel the same, I think, don't we? Yes, Ken? yes, um, yes. I mean, it, it's. Go on. It, producers go first, really. <laughs> um, well, I think we're both ashamed and sad and angry that it's even being shown now, frankly. This is a, a small film made. 50 years ago and probably should just be in the archive somewhere for film students and academics to look, take out and look at. And it's been shown all over the country. And it's been shown all over the country because the situation is worse. The housing problem we all know about is, is ridiculously uh, inadequate. And the homeless is sinfully, cruelly bad. Um, so it gives me no pleasure that the film is being shown everywhere. If, if someone had said to us 50 years ago that in 2016 we'd be in a much worse situation, uh, we just couldn't and wouldn't have believed it. And mm. um, so it's, um, mm. we have mixed feelings. I mean, I'm glad people are enjoying it. You're always glad that people enjoy films, but it's, it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth, frankly. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I agree with my friend. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of detail that one could add to that. Um, the 120,000 kids will be in homeless accommodation, are in homeless accommodation now. 120,000. With no secure, security of knowing where they're going to be next week. Changing schools, in cramped accommodation, families all in one room. Extraordinary. And every, the other statistic to throw in is every 10 minutes, a family becomes homeless. So in the course of this evening, there will be, what, 15 families? If we had two and a half hours, 15 families homeless. I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary level. But I, I suppose the only thing to add to that is, is that given the way the world has gone, we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, people talk of political correctness, and they, they usually mean, you know, they're making fun of the fact that, that you shouldn't uh, say unkind things to people who are vulnerable. 
They, they enjoy saying bad things and, and uh, taking a poke at political correctness. Actually, the politically correct thing you are not allowed to challenge is the market, the free trade market. The market will provide. Well, actually, the market has not provided. We've got luxury flats, 50 million pounds worth of, a lux for a luxury flat, standing empty, and many like them, because people think they can make more money out of investing in that than putting it somewhere else. And yet we've got teachers, firefighters, and so on, can't live within 30, 40 miles of where they work. So the market, the market fails. So given that we've been committed to that for so long, it's no wonder that we have the problem, mm. really. I'm reminded of, soon after the film went out, Jeremy Sanford and Ken and I were invited to meet the Minister of Housing. Mm. And we went down Whitehall to his office. Um, beautiful, big office for tea, and it was very English. We were served tea in fine china, and the biscuits were rather nice. And um, they were very nice about the film in the most civilized English way. And the minister, in the end, said, well, but what can one do? <laughs> and I said, build more houses. <laughs> and he looked at his permanent secretary and went, you know, the youth, they don't understand. Well, it's still the answer. Um, but as Ken said, the market won't do it. The boss of Taylor Wimpy today, not exactly a revolutionary socialist, has issued a report asserting that social housing is needed, that the market will not solve the problem. The market is an elegant um, solution, um, putting a buyer in and a seller together um, to, to arrive at a price. But it will not solve the housing problem. But ideas are the most important power in the world, and ideology has taken over and saying that the market will solve everything. Instead of being a useful device, it's become a religious dogma. Which, before which we, we must all bow. So although housing is an immensely complex question, if you solve the ideological question and look at it practically, we could have no housing problem in this country within 10 years and absolutely no homeless. And one of the richest countries in the world, surely, should be able to give its children a small but warm, safe, secure place to live. And we don't do that. Our political class of all parties has been utterly derelict for 30 or 40 years. Derelict. But they're our politicians. So it's my fault and Ken's fault and your fault. Everybody knows we've got a problem and nothing seems to be done. That's, that's what saddens me. But of course, this film was, was you know, very much a, a response to, to the problem and, and an attempt to provoke a discussion about it. And can you say a bit more about the origins of it and, and perhaps sort of, you know, the context both socially and politically at the time and, and, and also within the BBC and, and how it came to be made? <laughs> I understand there was a, a little subterfuge on your part, Tony, is that right? Um. <laughs> come, 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 come. <laughs> Well, it was a very different BBC. Mm. Mm. Um, I didn't tell them. 
there was there was a rule at the BBC at the time which said that if you have a problem, you should refer upwards. And I never thought I had a problem. So um, <laughs> um, I, I, I told Sidney Newman that it was going to be just a little film, mainly improvised by, by Ken, about a working class marriage, their ups and downs and, and so on. And um, it'll be a nice little warm romantic <laughs> film, uh, a little experimental. And he said, fine. But, but Sydney was very encouraging. So, of course, I lied, or otherwise it would never have been made. But it was in a context where it was possible to do that because there was just a little bit of room. I mean, I don't want to exaggerate it. The BBC was repressive. Um, you know, you had to be very careful about a whole number of subjects. You couldn't piss on the Queen, and you had to be careful about Northern Ireland and a whole number of things. But there was just that little bit of leeway. Uh, which we, we took advantage of. Mm. Um, and I, I always had a rule where we would never show the film until after the Radio, temp deadline, Radio Times deadline, <laughs> on the basis that if they were going to ban it, they'd have to ban it very publicly, and that would make them think twice. Um, so we sneaked it on the air, actually, and did it uh, underhand, didn't we? Um, mm -hmm. And it was a tiny, tiny budget. And as you saw, a very big cast and a lot of location movements. Um, but I knew Ken was up for it because he looks as though a, a little wind a breeze would blow him over, but he's as hard as nails, actually. <laughs> um, and Tony Imi, the cameraman, yeah, yeah, was, yeah. was built like a brick shithouse. And he'd, mm. he'd, he'd, he'd shoot all day with a camera on his shoulder, and he was absolutely mm. great by your side. Mm. And John McKenzie was the first AD who worked tirelessly to pull it together day after day after day and we owe a lot of a lot of thanks to, to john in fact i was so grateful and pleased i gave him his first directing gig um, and he went on to be quite distinguished as a director mm -hmm. um, uh, so mm -hmm. there were there were a lot of factors involved yeah. the bbc we had to do it under under the radar there's no question yeah. about that yeah i think there the are a number of other I mean, all that's too. I mean, there are a number of other factors as well in that, um, I mean, it was, it was politically a, a much more adventurous time. I mean, it was quite sexy to be on the left then, whereas um, it, it's not seen that way now. Um, but it was adventurous, ideas were common. It was two years after this were the events in France and the factory occupations, and it was a much more adventurous time than politically. Um, there were ideas in films like the French New Wave of cutting, you know, against, um, uh, not in a naturalistic way. Um, Joan Littlewood's uh, theatre was, uh, yeah. had, had combined uh, fiction and uh, documentary, you know, What a Lovely War, and, and we used her and those ideas and some of her actors. Um, the World in Action, great documentary series, uh, voiceovers to make a point, so you'd have like a, uh, a factual, I mean, there were many people, you know, people from, from the housing campaigns were, were quoted in there. So we, we saw all that in, in together. And also the Wednesday play had started. Um, I mean, Tony and I, I mean, we, 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 were, we were lucky to be there quite soon after the beginning. But I mean, that owed a great deal to, obviously to Jimmy McTaggart who produced it and also to great friend Roger Smith yeah. who, who is lurking in the back there somewhere. Um, yeah. and, uh, and he was the original story editor. 
And, and Roger really set the tone for it in the writers he got um, and the, the, the um, sort of sense of originality that, that he brought to it. So, so the, whole, the whole ethos of it yeah. was, was inventive and adventurous and um, taking no prisoners. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the other thing to say, I suppose, also, is that we, we had some extremely brave actors um, Ray, Ray. Ca Carol and Ray, uh, who were um, amazing. Ray? Is Ray here? Is he? Where is he? Where is he? Come on, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, wherever you are, Ray, um, it was your film as much as anybody's and Carol's. I mean, the other thing about doing it the way we did, which was just, as Tony says, just chasing around um, in sequence, was that they, they this, the script was... Well, obviously, good script, but it was quite skeletal. So a lot of what they say, they like came from them, and their creativity um, had to happen really quickly because it was okay. Here's the location. This is what's happening. We've got to shoot it, and and they responded brilliantly. And that that devastating final scene when when mm. Kathy's children mm. are taken away, is it right that that somebody? That, that was sort of filmed in such a sort of natural way and from a distance, is that right, that, that somebody tried to intervene or, or did they not try to um, intervene? Or? Well, I think it, it happened quite quickly. I mean, yeah. the, the original, I mean, we, we just shot it as you saw it. I mean, it, I think there was only one take on, on, on both bits. I think Tony, we shot it from a distance and then uh, Tony dived in and ran in and you got the close-up. Um, but we, we, it was like guerrilla filmmaking because... We had no permission. We just went in and did it. <laughs> Imagine and that now, you know. And I think, just, sorry, we're talking too much. But one quick thing about television now, and I know I talk to directors all the time, and what, it would not be possible to do it now because the hierarchy, and Tony's written about this, the, the hierarchy above the director and the writer particularly is so... Uh, forbidding that people would know at every stage and that would squeeze out the danger and I, I think that's really important that that we make that point because it's difficult for people working in the business now to make it because then they're troublemakers mm. but for old buggers like us who can't nothing can happen to okay. it's really important to say writers and directors and producers don't get the chance to be original in the way we were Hugely lucky to be able to. When I started to work in the BBC after the Thatcher-Burt putsch, um, I realised that the only way I could work was to invent Trojan horse drama. So with shows like The Cops, for instance, I would tell them that I was going to deliver their show. And I would deliver their show. But hidden inside their show was my show. And that was the only way I could work. It is a different organisation because it's totally marketised. And as Ken said, the supervision of management at every layer, that is people in senior management, I would not give a job as an assistant script editor to, at giving you notes. At the sixth floor of the television centre, I used to get the most insane notes. Like, you can't call it Balakis Angel, nobody will watch it. <laughs> so I said, well, it is called that because the writer says it's called that. And fight after fight after fight. 
We didn't have that, as Ken said, in those early days. And Sidney Newman was, in the end, a great defender. And in those days, the head of drama group, like every other output group, had the same status as the controller of BBC One. So he could fight his corner. And on the whole, he fought our corner. Um, and Roger Smith, who I learned a great deal from, um, set it all up for us, really, um, during the course of the first series of the Wednesday play. Mm -hmm. And Roger can't be praised too highly. So in a way, it was a terrible fight, film after film after film. But compared with now, as Ken said, it was just possible. And now it's being stifled. Mm -hmm. And that's odd because the BBC is a creative organisation or it is nothing. And it spends a lot of time and energy and money on suppressing creativity. As Emma said at the beginning, we really would like to hear from you and, and, and get a discussion, get a conversation going. Um, so if I could really encourage any thoughts, any reflections, any questions. Um, yes, please. Thank you for the opportunity to, to see this again. And obviously saluting all your work. Um, I saw Daniel Blake and there were people walking out of there crying. Uh, and I was just wondering, it's just very ironic how, obviously I didn't realize the reaction to Cathy Come Home is very similar to the reactions we're getting from the likes of Camilla Long and the Daily Mail for Daniel Blake. So, I mean, do you think, uh, do, you th do you get a sense of certain people that minds have been changed by, for example, Daniel Blake? And obviously there are people who are just going to write it off as fiction and propaganda. Uh, I just think that's really worth pondering about because I know for a fact that Daniel Blake is based on real life because I work in food banks and night shelters myself. So I've, I've heard all of these stories myself and I try and tell people all the time and you know, the work you're doing really helps, but not if people are going to sort of, like the Daily Mail and people like that are going to write it off. So I just wonder if it's worth thinking about the reaction to your work and... Um. Yes, I mean, the, the, the reactions, I mean, it's quite good that the right wing attacks it because if they didn't, you know, you wouldn't have drawn blood. And, and yeah. I think, I, I think yeah. it's good. Um, and the, the abuse hasn't been as, um, it, there's been a lot of abuse on, for, for, the, for the newer one, but um, it, it's very much in line. And they, it's, it's interesting, they never attack it in a frontal way. I mean, as you saw here, they say, we don't know whether it's fact or fiction. Well, you know, we said the same about the news, but and uh, and but someone writes it, you know, someone writes it, um, and uh, so that, that's a way of subverting it without without challenging it head on, and no one's really challenged the substance of um, no. of the, the the newer film, um, and in fact, we actually underplayed it. I mean, there were horrific stories, yeah. um, and the climate of fear. That exists. I mean, we heard the story of a man who um, was seriously ill. He fell down at home and injured himself badly, cut himself badly, and um, the neighbours sent for the ambulance. He wouldn't get in the ambulance because he had a job centre appointment the next day, and he was afraid they wouldn't let it. They would keep him in overnight, and he wouldn't go to the hospital, although he needed to be stitched up. 
you know, a, a man having the assessment to see whether he was fit for work, although the consultant said he wasn't fit for work. The state's assessor, uh, he'd had a heart attack. In the course of the assessment, he had another heart attack and he couldn't complete the interview. So because he didn't complete the interview, his, he was sanctioned and his money stopped. And we had story after story after story. They're almost too extreme to put on, to put in the films. People say, well, you're, you know, that's, you're making it up. So I think, I think people know the truth, really. I think they know the truth. Um, and um, bizarrely, if I just put one plug in, they, there's, um, they're showing it in over 400 cinemas tomorrow night um, as, a, as part of the campaign to get the, the cut in, in the employment and support allowance is being cut in the autumn statement from 100 and something to 70 and something. It's being cut by 29 pounds. Now, this is for people who are sick and disabled. And, and these aren't people who have been sanctioned. These, these are people who, who are living on 100 quid a week when they are sick and disabled. So they're going to cut that to 70 quid. Now, what kind of government is going to do that? What kind of respect for... Ours. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so... So it's, it's um, you know, one hopes it's, obviously, you, you don't make a film as much more complicated than reducing it to a single issue, and, and it, it doesn't, it, it should be much more than that, and I hope it is, but, it, but if you take that one point out of it, if, if it can have some minor effect, you know, that, that's okay. Um, yes, in the, in the middle here, please. Um, Tony, you, you were saying about how... Um, uh, marketized the BBC is these days. I, I, I mean, the current government, one of, one of the things that they're wanting to do with the BBC is to take out their teeth in fighting with the commercial broadcasters and to be um, serving, uh, looking to smaller underserved audiences. And I just wondered whether you'd actually champion that. Well, the, the political position of the BBC now is that the government would like to abolish it, just as they want to abolish the NHS. The problem is both are very popular, particularly with conservative voters. So they can't just do that. What they're doing with both institutions is eroding them, keeping them short of money, making them very difficult to use, so they hope that the public will gradually find alternatives in, on both institutions so that they will eventually hope to say, well, it's not worth having them anymore, or we'll have a much, much reduced one. And in the BBC's case, it will be to do what the market does not provide for, which will erode its popularity. Also remember that the technology has changed and the BBC has had to, BBC has had to respond to that uh, because the digitization of the world is changing everything, is it not? So um, we have Netflix, we have huge budgets that the BBC can't afford. So the BBC does have to play in that worldwide expensive arena. And I have some sympathy for its senior management in adjusting itself to that. But it also has responsibilities within this nation. It ought to, in all its programming, be a nation having a conversation with itself. And that doesn't have to be big budget stuff. 
this was tiny budget, they could afford a lot of them on a small budget. They could also do much more production for very little with young filmmakers making their way, proving themselves, getting experience on the internet. Um, you know, you can, you, with a point and shoot camera and editing on your laptop and it's up on a server, it, it costs very little. They're not responding to what the nation needs while they're busy responding to what the international competitive environment requires. So I think uh, I do sympathize with them in some way. I do not sympathize with their um, Stalinist destruction of creativity because they, that's, a, that's a, a, a McKinsey's management um, consultancy um, nonsense. But I, I do think that in all respect to them, and I'm, I, I believe in the BBC just as I believe in the NHS, but the problem with people who believe in those two institutions is that there's a tendency to draw the wagons into a circle and not allow any criticism. And I think that is terrible. I've been a critic of the BBC vehemently for over 50 years, and I will continue to be so, because I believe in it. So I think they have some renewal to do, let us say politely, in their creative thinking. This is only the second time I've seen the film. The first was 50 years ago when it knocked me out and I, it made me go into television. And I was lucky enough to work with Ken as an assistant on a film which, of course, got banned by ITV. <laughs> um, but what fascinates me now is watching it again is the elegance and the economy of the storytelling. It's a fantastic piece of storytelling. And I know you did it on a, on a low budget and I know you had a slightly sketchy script. So I'd love to know just what you went about when you went to each scene, what you had, how to make those scenes, because I'm absolutely knocked out seeing it this time by just how beautifully, differently done each, each scene is and how beautifully, elegantly it's done. Um, um, well, that, that's, that's um, very kind of you, Tony. Um, I mean, in fact, um, I, I didn't remember the script, actually. It was... It was, it was um, I mean, the, the, obviously the, there was dialogue and, and there, was, there were the events marked down and, and descriptions of what would happen. But um, we, we set it up pretty quickly. And um, sometimes I'm not sure we'd seen the location exactly before we got there. So it was very much, this is where we can put the camera, this is how we can orchestrate it. Um, and uh, I think it, you know, maybe we'd run through the, ac the action a couple of times, not much more. But in things like the eviction, it just happened once. And it was done really as a documentary um, of it just happening once and, and having a, like a basically two or three positions that I'd know Tony would be in this position and we'd start it off and then he'd be somewhere else to get something closer and then he'd come back to the, third to the first position. So it was, it was set up very, very economically like that. But it relied a huge amount on his camera work and on his framing. Um, and it, was a, it wasn't a film-sized crew, it was a BBC-sized crew. So that the, um, the first was also the location manager. And I mean, it was a tiny, tiny crew. Um, the production secretary did the continuity. It was really tiny. Um, and we shot it in three weeks, which was 16 or 17 days. And do you think that style contributed to the, the great sense of energy it's got? It's got a real life and energy and... Um, I, I think... Um, I think it might do, but I think it's, 
you know, be, be careful of... I think it's fine if it really is, is drawn out of the, the situation you're in. Yeah. If you try and do it like that but take longer over it and you don't really need to, then it becomes fake. I think it's if, it's, if you're driven to it, then it has a validity. Um, and I think a lot of it was, was down to like observation of the people around, you know. Um, we were in those old flats and, uh, I mean, D D Tony and I, we just stand on a balcony and say, look, there's an interesting shot there. And look at that woman there, there's a kiddie playing there. And he just, we was a 10 to 1 Zoom, he just find the frame within the Zoom and shoot it. And he was a very skillful cameraman, um, you know, within within the the um, the limitations of what he had. And another thing that that hung over from previous um, the previous film at the junction was using music. You know, yeah, like like have a burst of music which actually gave you the the ambience of the moment and yeah. enabled you to put some images over it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that 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 was very much a uh, uh, an idiom of the period, really. And Roy Watts, the editor, yes, yes. who's the coolest guy. Uh, I don't know, I've not seen Roy for some years. The bugger, he sold me some terrible second-hand cars, I can tell you. <laughs> um, he, um, he was very hip and very into it all, wasn't he? The, the yes, music, yes. and he was, he was just up for anything. Um, he wasn't one of those boring Ealing editors, was he? And he, he there there he, might be some Ealing editors in the audience. Well, and, <laughs> some of them are boring. <laughs> and I try to avoid them. Um, but, but Roy did add to the energy of it, didn't yes, he? Yes, yeah. he added to the gaiety of nations. Yeah, yes. The gaiety of nations, indeed. Yeah. There's a question down here. Just um, a comment, just to let you know, um, when this film first came out, it was um, uh, screened past my bedtime. And uh, my parents made sure that we were up to watch it. And I can assure you, it's ensured that I've been politically active ever since. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ken, uh, yeah. Tony, um, uh, I want to add a, a little bit onto what the last uh, woman sort of said. I mean, I watched it in Aberdeen. I was actually old enough. I just left school. And what it did for me was it actually... Um, made me think, what am I going to do after I leave school? And I went into social work. I, I, I wanted to work and to change things. And then I discovered that I was only kind of like a bit of sticking plaster. And then I decided that I joined the BBC. And I joined the BBC and worked in the community program unit. And 30 years ago, we made a film on homelessness. And we used, it was the 20th anniversary of uh, Cathy Come Home, and we used some clips from that. And then 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the problem was exactly the same as you describe it now. What I'm interested in actually watching it just now after, you know, 50 years is what was the impact on local government? You know, the people, the social workers, you know, the housing department people. You know, what, what did you achieve through, through the films, you know, in, in that sort of area? Uh, well, yeah. Um, you want to go or make... Um, you go first. Um, I mean, from... From my point of view, I think, and, and Ken's point of view, that was one of the problems with the film, that it wasn't political enough, and also we didn't get at the real villains, as it were. Um, but anybody here who's um, a screenwriter knows that it's extremely difficult to do that structurally when the, the, the hero, which was Cathy and the family, never meets the people who are responsible for what's happened to them. 
so that the people they meet are the people who are not really responsible. Some of them behave better than others, but they tend to get the blame when they shouldn't get the blame. Um, and if we did anything like that now, where we would try to find a structure where there's an A story and a B story and find them to meet or run parallel A and B stories and link them together, which is a much more difficult structural job, but you know, we've all done it. Um, mm. So it, there was a, a, a political gap there and we were blaming the wrong people. And if we did it now, because we look at it now and it's a soft liberal film basically. And um, one of the problems was um, Jeremy was a liberal and not very political. Um, he was a brilliant guy and a lovely guy and he did, his research was the basis for the film. And without Jeremy, there would have been no film. Um, but it, it, it's, it's something we would, if we did it now, we'd do it differently. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I think to, to, to add to that, um, I mean, it's a really good point, Mike, um, but the, um, I'm not, I, I think, I, think it, I hope it had the effect like you, know, you, you were saying down here, that, that it did turn people to politics. Um, oddly enough, we, we had a showing at, um, in the Commons on Monday, not of the whole film, but of excerpts, and it was um, sponsored by Tim Farron, who was very friendly and a nice guy. And all the, there were invited people from different campaigns. <laughs> people from different campaigns were invited. And um, they went around and said their piece. And they were all good, very committed, hardworking, compassionate people. But they said exactly the same things that the people said when we showed the film 50 years ago. And I think that, that's, that's the essence of it, is that it clearly, to, to solve the housing problem, I mean, Tony's talked a bit about it, to me, if you reject the market, then you have to plan. And you can't plan what you don't own. So it, it means going back and, and planning with money for, with local authorities, to, to not only to build houses, that are environmentally um, secure and sustainable with all the infrastructure, the schools, the hospitals, the roads, the community places and so on, but crucially with work because communities aren't sustainable unless people have jobs. And we've had houses in parts of the country, they're still there, empty, empty streets because there's no work. And obviously down in London, massive overcrowding. And that if that we will not solve it and, until we plan. Um, and that means through local authorities, but it also means planning industry. So, I mean, that, I think that's really critical. And that does, I think the, the, the labor idea now of an investment bank, which acts on our behalf with public money to invest in jobs with the housing associated with it. And the housing is part of the jobs. Is, to, is the beginning of an integrated plan. And you, know, you can see the elements there. But I think until we get there, I, it's, it's difficult to see the housing problem being resolved. As soon as this pub shuts, we'll have a revolution. Yeah, yeah. indeed. <laughs> well, that's a great note to end on. <laughs> um, I'm very sorry that we've run out of time. Um, I'd love to discuss all of this much, much longer. And I'm sure you know, there's much discussion still to be had. Um, but I would like to thank everyone for participating so, so fully in, in the conversation. And um, also, above all, on this very, very special anniversary, thank you so much for coming here. It's, uh, 
It's just, it's just wonderful to have you. Thank okay, you. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for listening to this BAFTA Heritage Podcast. To hear more from this series, you can subscribe using a podcast app or go to bafta.org forward slash heritage. Thank you.